In this episode of the Exploring Information Security Podcast, what is decentralized IT part one? Welcome to the Exploring Information Security Podcast, where you will learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring what is decentralized IT. Joining me today to discuss this is the catalyst, Michael Santarcangelo. Michael, how are you? Timothy, when I'm with you, brother, I am always good. And you know I love the fact that we're exploring and we're talking about mindsets. So I'm, mm-hmm. I am always good. Absolutely. Yeah, so something I've heard you talk about several times. I don't remember what triggered it to ask you to come back on and, and discuss this. But I do remember hearing you talk about it on several different occasions uh, using a decentralized IT model. So I guess before we actually dive into why, we should discuss the what. Well, I think it's a good idea. Yeah, and I'd love your take on it too, because I don't think there's any one definition of it, but but let's contrast it with the centralized model. So the centralized model says uh, there is one IT shop, There is you know, and, and they handle IT, they handle security, they handle development. It's all under one roof. It all reports up through one person. And all things happen that way, one group, period. And that sounds really compelling because you think, well, it's, you know, it's uh, people like to say, right, one, one neck to step on, one throat to choke, right, all type of stuff. And so, oh, it'll be all one organization. The opposite is decentralized that says, hey, we're, we're a vibrant organization. We work in different ways. We have different people that have slightly different business needs or slightly different technology needs. And we let them handle their own stuff. Now, the challenge in a decentralized model classically is, are we duplicating effort? Are we staying consistent? What I will admit to sometimes for decentralized models, it's really tough on an audit and compliance perspective because people are doing stuff somewhat differently. And that gives us a third option, which is a hybrid model that says you do some stuff centralized and then you give people some power and autonomy at the edges. And to be fair, that's probably the one I favor the most. You'll hear people talk about it as like a center of excellence. Uh, or something else. And so what happens there a lot, and this is just to kind of define it that I like, is you have a group that's responsible for kind of setting standards and defining uh, platforms and approaches and processes. And maybe they're there with the expertise. But then you give each of the different groups kind of their own autonomy to do what they need to do, knowing that they have somebody who's going to make sure that they're consistent with the rest of the organization. And if they hit a problem, they can come in and they can ask for help, you know. Otherwise, we end up with a lot of shadow IT anyway. At least that's been my experience, and that's that's what I see with a lot of a lot of clients. And some of us have hybrid models, but we don't really know to call them that. But I mean, what are you seeing? Well, so when you when you talk about the the one like the one department to rule them all, that's also, in my view, a a single point of failure. So if something fails there, mm-hmm. and like you just mentioned with shadow IT, if if things aren't being handled, and we've seen this in organizations before, where someone goes to the help has to go, they're, they're told to go through like a support ticket process, but that support ticket process is takes two to three weeks. Right. Then you know, like you said, the shadow IT is they're going to go do what they need to do to get done. Um, I currently, in my view, uh, particularly for security, I think it would be good to kind of set a security person in each different department. So kind of, and there is still like a point, you know, like a centralized point that people report back to, but have 
kind of like a decentralized type of model for the security team to go sit with these different people where you can build rapport and you kind of have a better view into each different department, their challenges or struggles and trying to give them, uh, provide a resource for them to, to succeed. You know, it, it's, um, you asked me before if I had done any writing on this, and it, it oddly and embarrassingly, it's been on my docket of things to write about for about three years now. But I, I worked with a client a couple of years ago to change their model. They were very centralized. But what's interesting is they were a security group, and they were centralized. They reported up through the CFO, and then, but they also had to work with an interface with an IT group in the organization. But they were large enough that they then had, like, six shadow IT organizations. And that was creating a real problem for them. <laughs> Holy oh, crap. It, it, was, it was really intense. And each of the shadow organizations had a significant amount of power. So, and this is a concept, this is actually where I kind of started getting the ideas around minimum viable security, which is something that I, I've been talking about a lot for, you know, about three years now. But what had happened was we went to the CFO and I said, okay, what do you expect? In fact, what was really interesting, and this always makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but when we're talking about centralized versus decentralized IT or security, the, the first thing to remember is we're all part of the same business. In fact, this is something I am going to write about in, in the very near future because I'm, I'm noticing this trend, and it's not a new trend, but I'm hearing it a lot lately that says, oh, if the business just did this, if the business just understood. Newsflash, we're part of the business. We're, mm -hmm. we, we all need to achieve the same goals. We have a role in that. And the more we understand how our counterparts work. So I love where you just talked about embedding somebody in different parts of the organization gives you the opportunity to understand what they're doing. It gives you a very clear window into their operations, ideally so that you can support them better. Well, in this case, sat down with the CFO and I simply said to him, help me understand, do you, do you care about security? And, and the, the CSO sit next to me, and he's like freaking out. He's like, dude, I can't believe you just asked that. But the, the CFO is very generous, and he pondered, and he said, yeah, actually, I do. I said, okay, well, do you want to learn about it, or do you just want us to knock it out? No, I want to learn about it. I said, cool. When you think about how this team operates, knowing that your colleagues and other parts of the organization are running their own shadow IT, and that you've got an IT group that also reports up to you, where do you see security fitting? How do you want that to work? And his answer was brilliant. He said, look, we can't keep doing it this way. It's not effective. We're creating a lot of problems. And so I really want you guys to take the lead on helping everybody understand the way that it can be, helping them understand their needs and requirements, helping them get better solutions. But for the teams that, that are in place that are functioning well, I don't need you guys to replace them. And I don't want you guys to replace them. And what we ended up doing was kind of building a, a, a three-headed model. Uh, there, was a, there was an operations team. There was an architecture slash governance team. And then there was what we called an engagement team. And that was really kind of interesting because go back to your comment about how do we work with people in different parts of the business. We took a group of folks that had broad and deep experience in the organization. They had great relationships. They really understood how the organization functioned and had started in other parts of the organization and made their way there. And we made them the engagement team. And then what we did was every time you needed something from the security team, you worked through the engagement team. And their job was to get you to the right people the right way, shepherd the process forward, but also to attend your meetings or to come to your staff meetings or to help you solve your problems. 
And so then when you say, well, how did you rule it out? When we started rolling this out, we went to the two teams we thought would be dug in the most, and we kind of flipped the script. And, and that's where we said to them, listen, is security a drag for you? They're like, yeah, absolutely. We said, what if we could show you the absolute minimum you needed to do? You will still be secure. You'll meet the requirements that you're concerned about, and they're heavily regulated. They needed to meet requirements. But you can free up your guys to go solve really cool problems. You don't have to worry about it at this level anymore. And they looked at us and said, well, that's awesome. When, how do we do that? So we didn't come in and say, we're the new people in charge now, or you're going to do it our way. What we simply said was, seems like one of the problems that you're trying to solve is how to get your team to do these things in a way that's consistent with everybody else without wasting time. And they loved it. And it worked. I mean, it Look, it, this, it, it took like a year, year or and a half or so to kind of start implementing it. But all of a sudden, teams were coming to us and telling us their challenges. And so that reflected itself in the architecture. That reflected itself in the policies. That reflected itself in governance. And that's one of the things that I think becomes important. It's, it's Governance is the ability to look at how something operates and to make sure that it's compliant or that you're meeting regulations or that you understand why you're not meeting a regulation and that's acceptable, that you're following the right policies and procedures and that type of stuff, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it. And I think that creates a real opportunity for us as organizations go. But that's, I mean, that's just one experience. I mean, so in your organization right now, are you guys more centralized, decentralized, or somewhere in between? Uh, I guess you'd say somewhere in between. So I, like I said, I, I sit with the development team and provide security resources for them. So, and that's, that's a lot of, you know, looking for security issues, uh, but also when they have questions and stuff, they, they bring it up to me. Um, my focus is on like improving their security mindset. So essentially trying to put myself out of a job Perfect. Uh, because I, I think, you know, in my view, the decentralized model, we talk about the talent shortage and we actually talked about that briefly before we start, we hit the record button um, there. We need a different model or a different strategy. And, and, to be honest, my view of security is that we're going to have smaller teams in the future. We're not going to suddenly get this influx of people. We're going to have to, you know, security is going to be a part of everyone's role. So I'm actually moving towards that. And there's plenty of work for me still to do, even with that in mind, because the more security minded they become, the actually the more stuff they're going to bring to me. Um, so I think there are benefits there, particularly from a personnel standpoint. Well, yeah, I mean, let's go back to something I learned a long time ago. And this is when I became a big fan of decentralized. Um, the the thing that I learned very, very early in my career, first of all, I, I love what you just said, work yourself out of a job. That was always my attitude. It probably still is. I, you know, I don't want people to be dependent on me. I don't, I don't, I want people to learn how to do stuff themselves, right? It's called developing agency. Well, in that, what I learned with decentralized, and I learned this very early on, there are people who understand networking better than you and I do. There are people who understand development better than you and I do. There are people who understand different aspects of the business better than you and I do. And so I always kind of lumped people into one of three categories. There's a group of people that are always going to ask us for help from a security perspective. There's a group of people that will never ask us for help from a security perspective. And then there's a group of people that are somewhere on the fence. They maybe don't know what they don't know. Maybe they're not sure if they need help or not. Maybe they don't think it's a big deal, but they're willing to find out. And so what I always said was, why don't we just be open? We don't need to be closed with security. Why don't we be open? But why don't we also accept that there are people that are network administrators or systems operators that really know their stuff? 
They know how it works. They know how to protect it. And whether or not they went and got a security certification doesn't matter. Whether or not they have any formal security training doesn't matter because they're really good at what they do. Well, why don't we just help them out or at least make sure that we're all doing stuff the same way? But I can respect that and let them do their thing. Well, the, the decentralized model kind of just embraces that on a larger level. It goes back to, right, you all said this too. We like to say security is everybody's responsibility. And I've even had arguments with folks who go, well, what about the janitor? Yes. Did you not watch Wall Street? The janitor has a role. But the point <laughs> to all of this is just saying everybody has a role is very different than actually giving them the tools, the training, the support, maybe perhaps the responsibility to actually enact that role. And decentralized IT does that. You're, you're giving the tools and the controls to the people who need it, that want it that are trained and capable of acting on it perhaps better than we are. But then we don't, it doesn't get us out of a job. There's so much for us to focus on and to go look at that we get that ability to do it. So it's, so, I, so I'm curious in your organization. So you're, do you report to the security group? Like how do you, how do you exist as a security person in a development role? How does that work? So, yeah, I still report back to the security team. Um, I sit with the development team, but I do spend like one day out of the week in our security operations center. So I'm still going back there to connect. Um, but I, I also work with a lot of the managers and the director of the development. I actually have like weekly meetings set up with each manager, just like a 30 minutes to catch up, find out what their struggles are, any issues they have. And then that's also an opportunity for me to, to bring any issues to them that I might see or have questions about. So, uh, the, and I feel like the reverse experience, I feel like if I just sat with the security team and just went to meetings, I don't, I don't have as good of a relationship with these people and they kind of view me a little bit different sitting with them. It is totally a building relationship type of scenario. Um, and I think I've, I've gained and earned their trust and uh, I, it gives me an opportunity to that they feel more comfortable around me versus, hey, the security guys here, you know, hide or, you know, do whatever. And I've found in my experience that a lot of developers and even a lot of other people in other departments have a very good security mindset and they know what they need to do. They Bingo. just don't feel like they are experts at it. But, you know, it, it's it's just for me, it's it's a lot of times just being a cheerleader or building their confidence, and yeah, that's the right path. I you know, and and that, like I said, that's my goal is to be to have them making those security decisions without me and me just sitting in the back of the corner being able to stay quiet. I don't I don't need to speak up. I, no, I love that. I mean, I love I love that approach. You know, you talk about uh, the trust to it. I mean, what makes this work ultimately is we have good communication. So that's you meeting with people face to face every week. Right. That's in my world, that's exhibiting leadership. But it also sounds like the leadership of the organization embraces this and you're doing things that establish trust. But you also just talked about something else that I think matters, and that's validation. It's letting somebody else who says, hey, I think this is right. Maybe they just need a sounding board. Maybe they just want to hear it from you. Cool. Maybe they're not completely on track, but they're willing to talk that through with you and they figure that. And in the process, in most of those cases, I imagine you learn. I mean, What's it like when you go back to the SOC? I mean, are you bringing some of this experience back in and talking about how these things operate? I mean, is your experience mostly embedded with these other teams? Is that up-leveling what the rest of your team understands? Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that's It's like a two-way thing. So I've always yeah. said that I'm going to 
I'm I'm taking security concerns to the development team, but I'm also taking development concerns to the I the, the security team. So there's, and that's uh, kind of goes back to our shadow IT thing. If, if the development team is not getting what they need, I need to go fight for them to do that. Otherwise, they're just going to go around all of our security controls uh, to to do what they need to do to get their job done. So, and I've made uh, I've been able to pretty much improve the the communication lines, and I, I find this a lot that people have said one thing and either it's fallen through the cracks or you know um they don't know who to go talk to i'm yep. able to make that interface like interface make better connections between the two departments and this goes back to you know the the compliance and audit team as well they they ask questions of the development team and they're not getting responses well here let me just give you access to their where they document everything so they can go look at it themselves or you know i can go look it up and send them a link on it how often do you find that you're translating so like because you just mentioned like audit compliance how often do you find that there might be a request or a finding that the developers are just kind of pushing aside or maybe didn't completely get because the context is just twisted but but by having experience in both you kind of find yourself in that middle ground going, okay, hold on. Let's all come together real quick and we can solve this quicker. Have you had any of those experiences? Uh, it's more, um, particularly within compliance, it's more giving people context on both sides. It's not really translating. I think a lot of people know that we, you know, the development team knows we have to meet certain criteria. And usually that's just like a setting, you know, a timeout, uh, number or you know login attempts or something like that. So they're they're fine with just going to coding. So it's not really translation, but I would say it's more context. This is why we're doing it this way. No, I like that. And that will do it for part one. Hopefully you learned something. Feedback is welcome at timothy.dblock at gmail.com or on Twitter at Timothy Dblock. Show notes can be found at timothydblock.com forward slash e-i-s if you enjoyed the show share it with others and rate it on itunes have a good one